we're in our second week of All I Want for Christmas, and in this season, in this series, we're just talking about how, you know, gifts are such a big part of Christmas for many of us. Um, we love to give gifts. We love to receive gifts. You know, a lot of times when you're younger, you look forward to Christmas because of the gifts that you hope to receive. As, as you get older, you often look forward to Christmas because of the gifts that you have the opportunity to give. And, and so we're just playing off this idea of gifts in this series, talking about the great gifts that God has given us and those that he has asked us to give to others. Now, as we start this morning, I, I want to just start with a question and that is, why do we give gifts? Why do we do it? Now, I have some ideas about why we give gifts, but before I share my ideas, um, what I'd really like to do is take a look at uh, one of the great philosophers of the 21st century uh, and what he has to say about gifts. It is time to get your presents, wrap them, and place them under the tree like so. If you do not get your present wrapped and under the tree within the next five minutes, you will be disqualified from Secret Santa. All right? No exceptions, except Michael. I got Angela. She's into these posters of babies dressed as adults. I got one of those. I felt kind of weird buying that. I got Creed. And to tell you the truth, I don't know anything about Creed. I know his name's Creed. I know he works right over there. I think he's Irish, and I, I got him this uh, shamrock keychain. I got myself for Secret Santa. I was supposed to tell somebody, but I didn't. You get something good this year? Uh, I think I did a pretty good job. Yeah? Who'd you have? Well, I can't tell you, because it's a secret. I think I got something pretty nice for my guy. Yeah? I spent a lot of dough. A lot of dough. Wow. Well, there's a $20 limit, right? So Yeah. I wanted this party to be really special, so I sort of went above and beyond. That's great. Well, don't tell me what it is, because I can... It was Ryan. Yeah, I have Ryan. Presents are the best way to show someone how much you care. It is like this tangible thing that you can point to and say, Hey, man, I love you this many dollars worth. Great philosopher Michael Scott. Uh, right? We give gifts uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, one of those is to express our love. Hopefully it's not uh, just purely in dollar terms. Um, but we, we give gifts to express our love uh, to someone. And if you want to really think about why we give gifts, you think about the different times in our lives where we do give gifts. Certainly Christmas is one of those in which we can celebrate God giving the gift of His Son, uh, we emulate the wise men giving gifts uh, to Jesus as we give gifts to one another. There's a lot of other times we give gifts. Birthdays to celebrate something special in someone's life or, or a special event. Like when somebody graduates or someone has a baby or when someone's getting married. Now, there's no better way to express uh, how excited we are that someone's getting married um, to, to celebrate the, the union of someone in God's most holy institution, to wish someone the best success for all of their lives by giving them a cheap toaster, right? It's the greatest way to express these things. We, we give gifts all the time, and weddings are kind of weird in a number of ways. I mean, aside from the fact that we give strange gifts to celebrate such a special, powerful, important moment. Now, 
How many of you have ever been to uh, a Christian wedding? Like a wedding with a particularly Christian focus? Raise your hand. Um, okay, so that's pretty much most of us. And, um, you know, Christian weddings are interesting because uh, as, as we talk about the union of a husband and a wife, we a lot of times bring Scripture into that process in a, in a more Christian-focused wedding. And as we celebrate the love uh, that these, this couple has for one another, uh, we love to read Scripture on love. And there's one particular passage um, that we really love to read uh, in the Christian world when it comes to weddings. And it comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so I'm going to invite you to open up your Bible with me. Open up the Bible app and you can follow along there. As we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, if you're familiar with this passage at all, um, you know that it's actually not talking about marriage at all. Uh, it's not talking about marriage in any way, uh, but it does talk about love. And what we're actually talking about today is the love that God gives us, how He expresses that, and the love that we're called to give to others. And so we're going to start our discussion, our reading, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now, if you're familiar with the Christian wedding version, that doesn't start till verse 4, but we're going to start in verse 1. And this is Paul writing to a church that he helped start, trying to give them some encouragement how they should interact with one another in church. And he says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I... Am delivered If I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. This is the part that most of us are probably a little more familiar with. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Hope bears all things, believes, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And he ends his little section talking about love in verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so Paul, trying to give instructions to these Christians about how they're supposed to interact with one another, in the life of the church. If you look at chapters 12 and chapters 14 uh, in 1 Corinthians, it's all about interacting uh, with people in church and using your gifts uh, in church and, and interacting with one another. And he, he wants to, to couch both of those ideas in love. That we can do all these great things. We can give away everything we have. We can have more faith than anyone else. We can do all these great things. But if we don't have love, if love is not at the center of what we're giving and doing, then we've really missed the point. Now there's a reason that love has become so central in the Christian world. Not just in Christian marriages or wedding ceremonies, but in the life of the church. There's a reason that Paul talked so passionately about how much love should be driving everything we do in our lives. And it's because at the center of who we are as Christians and what we believe is the idea of love. We looked at this verse last week when we were starting off this series. 
John 3.16, which many of you know by heart, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And last week, we focused on this word gave. This idea that God has given to us. And today, for just a few moments, I want to focus on the idea of love. For God so loved that His giving to us that his interactions with us were at the foundation built upon his love for us. Now this is actually Jesus speaking here. This is Jesus teaching uh, both his disciples and there was a particular religious leader who had come to meet Jesus in the middle of the night. He wanted to ask Jesus some religious questions. And as Jesus is explaining what it's like to know God and be a part of God and to be what Jesus would say in this conversation, born again, he begins to talk about God's great love. But this is by no means the only time Jesus talks about God's love. Throughout Jesus' teachings, what he teaches, what he has to share, is riddled with the idea of God's love. There's two other passages in the Gospel of John that I want us to look at in talking about love. And I want to set the stage for you for just a moment. In John chapter 13, which is where we're going to go next, uh, Jesus is less than 24 hours away from being crucified. Jesus takes all of his disciples and he takes them to a room where they're going to have uh, supper together, um, their, their last meal, their last supper together. Uh, where Jesus can impart some final truth and wisdom because the moment that Jesus leaves this room, He's going to go to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane and He's going to be arrested. I mean, just moments or maybe an hour or two after they leave this room. And the way Jesus begins His time with His disciples is as He gathers them all together, He takes off His outer garment and He takes on the role of a servant. And He begins washing His disciples' feet. And they don't get it. It's really confusing for them because Jesus is their master and he's doing the job of the lowliest servant. Why would he do this? And Jesus tells his disciples, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but later you will. It wasn't until the death and resurrection that the disciples had to understand. If we want to be a part of what Jesus is doing, we're going to have to allow him to humble himself and serve us. Ultimately, Jesus would do that on the cross. But here he's giving them an example by washing their feet. And then when he finishes washing their feet, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to leave you. And where I'm about to go, you cannot come. So this is the, this is the setting. The disciples are confused. Jesus has just served them in a very humiliating way. And now he just said, it's now my time to leave you and you can't come. And then in John 13, Starting in verse 34, he says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then in John 15, this is actually still part of the same conversation. They're just about to leave This room, Jesus is still talking to his disciples. He's still teaching his disciples. And this idea is so important that he's going to say it again. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, 
that someone lay down his life for his friends. These are some of John's final memories of Jesus. Now, you don't have to raise your hand like we did earlier. But I'm curious how many of you have spent time with someone in their final moments. I have on multiple occasions. Both as a family member and friend and as a pastor. have spent time with people in their final days, in their final hours. If you live life long enough, most of us have experienced or unfortunately we will experience it at some point being with someone in those final moments. And if you have that experience, it's something that you can't forget. Generally, it's not something that you would want to forget because usually you're spending time with someone you genuinely care about. But I want you to think about this for a moment. These words that Jesus has just spoken to the disciples in this room, are some of the last things He'll say to them. These are the final moments that John is going to remember. These are some of the last things Jesus will say that John will hold on to and remember for the rest of his life. They were impactful enough that when John wrote his gospel, he included these, these teachings that Jesus gave in his final hours. But John carried with him these ideas with him throughout his entire life. John actually wrote multiple documents that we now have in our New Testament. Not only did he write the Gospel of John, but he wrote three different letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John is what we call them, and the letter or the book of Revelation. But I want you, we're going to look at 1st John for a second, one of his letters that he wrote to some other Christians, and I want you to keep in mind what we just heard Jesus teach in his final moments and how that has impacted John later in life. As best as we can tell, based on when these documents were all written, from the time Jesus said these words in roughly 30 A.D. to when John is going to write 1 John more than three, four decades later, I want you to listen to how much Jesus' words still have had an impact on his life as he writes these words to some of his fellow Christians and friends that he wants to encourage. He's going to talk about the love that Jesus had talked to him about. Now this is a longer passage, but just bear with me. 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation just means to remove God's wrath. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. 
So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are, are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Do you see how much Jesus' teachings had an impact on him? How three or four decades later, these things that Jesus taught are still so fresh in John's mind. Because of God's great love for us, He sent His Son for us. That because God is love, if God lives in us, then we must love others. There's no way that we could claim to know Jesus, to be a child of God, and then not love others. Here's some of the highlights of just the things that John said. He said, love is from God. He said, God is love. He said, the love of God was made manifest among us in Jesus. He said, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Verse 16, he said, we have come to know and to believe that the love of God, that the love of God, the love that God has for us. You know, Christmas is a season to remember uh, and to celebrate the love that God has for us. John has gone on and on about this love. The early church taught how important this love was that everything we do, all the interactions that we have with one another, anything we do in our Christian life should be built upon love. Jesus taught that this love was so powerful that it should translate into our love of others. Why? What's so amazing about this love? Now we started with John 3.16, or very early on we read John 3.16, but we stopped at verse 16. I want to keep reading from there. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Here's why God's love is so great. Because without Jesus, we all are condemned already. You and I in our natural state do not stand in right relationship or right standing with God. We stand condemned. Just as we read a minute ago that John taught, what's great about love, it's not that we loved God, it's that He first loved us. 
We're given this mandate to love others, but not because we're, we're called to, to somehow produce love out of thin air. We love, as John said, because God first loved us. And this love is so great because we stand condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. We were already condemned. Jesus didn't come pronouncing judgment. We were already under judgment. Jesus came. God sent His Son in order that the world might be saved through Him. God's great love is that we didn't deserve it. That He gave us a gift we weren't worthy of. That He gave us the gift of His Son that we don't deserve. Because as we are, in our own nature, we stand condemned. Without the love of God, there is no hope for us. We celebrate this season, God giving His Son, because it's a demonstration of His great love. A love that's undeserved. And someone who's loved like that, someone who's received love that is undeserved, unwarranted. The Bible teaches that we should be so grateful that love should be pouring out of us onto others. That everything we do should be covered in love. It doesn't matter whether you have the most faith. It doesn't matter whether you give everything you have away. Or as Paul taught, it doesn't matter even if you were to give your life What is any of that if it's not done in love? Because God is love. And if God is in us, then love pours out of us. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we just want to celebrate your love this morning. Jesus, we want to just take a moment to think about and to celebrate how great your love is for us. how undeserving we are of your love. God, I recognize that there are probably people in our lives that we don't feel deserve our love. But as we are filled with your love that we don't deserve, may you help us pour it on others, many of whom desperately need it this season. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed as we enter into a time of reflection. And there's one more passage on love that I want to read for you, but I want you to keep your eyes closed as I read it. And it comes from Ephesians chapter 4, talking about the condemned state we stand in on our own without God. It says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Those in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, 
and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. We celebrate God's great love for us because without Him we were dead. But it's because of His love and the sending of His Son that we're made alive in Christ. It is by God's grace revealed through His love that we are saved. And this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to celebrate how much God loves us. As we sing about His great love for us, as we sing about the riches of His love being more than enough, being all that we need in our lives, and as we sing about God's love this morning, I want to encourage you to celebrate heart open, arms open, celebrate how great God's love for you that He put on display by the giving of His Son. And let it be a challenge to you as you sing about His great love for you. Be a challenge to you about the great love that He has called us to give to others.